I'm not aging gracefully. I'm sort of going down, kicking and screaming. And so I'm really a lousy role model. I, I, you should edit this out of the podcast. You know, you want someone who's nice and calm and relaxed and makes everyone feel good about themselves. Instead, I'm telling you that aging is pretty hard. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the Out and Back podcast presented by Gaia GPS. This is Shanti, and back with me again today is my co-host, the wonderful and intrepid Mary Kokenauer. Today, Mary and I are going to be sitting down and having a fun conversation with Buzz Burrell, a man who's known in the outdoors community as the father of the FKT. Now, what exactly is FKT, you might be wondering? Well, you're just going to have to give the show a listen for the full details, but I'll give you a quick idea in the meantime. For the listeners of some of our earlier episodes with Heather Anderson, Real Hiking Viking, Andrew Skirka, and others, and by the way, if you haven't heard them, I highly recommend you check them out, we talked quite a bit about not just hiking some of the longest and most intense trails that are out there, but we also talked about setting speed records on those trails. Basically, there's a whole community out there that isn't just interested in hiking, say, the Wind River High Route or the Pacific Crest Trail or the John Muir Trail, but is also interested in seeing who can hike or dare I say, run, these trails in the fastest possible time. And that's where Buzz Burrell and the FKT movement come into play. Now, for years, Buzz Burrell and Peter Backwin have been the quote-unquote gatekeepers of the FKT movement, and that's reflected on both their podcast, the FKT Podcast, and their website, fastestknowntime.com. Well, there it is right there. That's what FKT is. But the story with Buzz goes far beyond just being a gatekeeper for the FKT community. Buzz is an ultra-distance running legend in his own right, with thousands upon thousands of miles under his shoes, and also a prior record holder for trails like the Colorado Trail and the John Muir Trail. And even though he's getting up there in years, it seems like that's doing little to slow him down. So we're going to hear from Buzz all about the FKT movement, and we're also going to hear the story of how he became the father of this movement, and why he definitely earned that moniker. But before we get to Buzz, we got to let you know about something really important first. If you're going to be out on a hiking or backpacking trip, whether it's a fun and relaxing day hike with some friends, or if you're out there trying to set an FKT yourself, then you're going to need a tool for offline wilderness navigation. You're going to need a GPS app that has the maps you need to stay on track and stay safe. In other words, you're going to need to get Gaia GPS. With a Gaia GPS premium membership, you have access to the best offline maps available for navigation in the great outdoors. That includes national park maps, National Geographic maps, U.S. Forest Service maps, USGS maps, historical wildfire maps, satellite imagery, air quality maps, and if I keep naming all the other maps, I'm going to run out of air and pass out on the floor, so I'll stop there. The bottom line is that Gaia GPS is a very important and very helpful safety tool to help you navigate through the great outdoors. And right now, if you're a listener of the Out and Back podcast, you can get up to 50% off on a Gaia GPS membership by going to GaiaGPS.com slash podcast. That's G-A-I-A gps.com slash podcast to get up to 50% off on a membership with Gaia GPS, the gold standard of offline navigation tools. All right, everyone, here we go with Buzz Burrell, the father of the FKT. With us is Buzz Burrell, founder and host of the FKT website and podcast, and the person considered by many to be the father of the FKT. How you doing, good sir? Thanks for being on the show today. Doing just fine. Good talking with you. 
Welcome, Buzz. It's so good to finally meet you. I know our mutual friend, Andrew Skirka, has always said good things about you, and I'm so glad to finally meet you. Likewise, Mary. Thank you for saying that. We feel like this could become a drinking game for us today, for anyone who's listening to the show, and they'll be able to take a sip whenever we say FKT, because we're going to be referencing it so many times. So uh, we guess we want to start by asking the most basic question for those who might not know. Uh, Buzz, what the heck is an FKT? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> FKT has entered the international, literally international jargon. It's how it's pronounced all over the world in any language, but it stands for fastest known time. And what that really means is we don't want to call it a record. Because a record should be official. Sometimes you can call these things record. But a fastest known time means it's the fastest time anybody knows about it. But it's a way of saying right out of the gate that this has been unofficially documented. There's no you know, third-party timers there usually. There's not an Olympic official with a stopwatch. And it's possible that in the pre-internet days, which is how I invented the term, somebody had done it faster. So I think it's a good term. It's spread all over the world. And, and so, Buzz, what is, the, what is the history of FKT? I mean, it's a relatively new term. It's not something that we've been speaking all these whole decades, it's something you came up with, right? Right. The first known use in print, or actually on a website, was by Bill Wright. And then a couple of years after that, uh, I used it in reference to Peter Backwin and my run on the John Muir Trail. And that was a big deal. The John Muir Trail has since achieved iconic status. That's 223 miles without a road crossing. It's an epic trail. It's almost unique in the world in that respect. And we wanted to see what the fastest time was. And it was actually hard to figure out. Uh, it's hard to imagine pre-internet, but such a time existed. And we kept going back and going back to try to see what the deal was. And as far as you could go back, you just kept going back. You kept turning over more and more pages. We got back to someone named, I think it was Peter Swift, Got this out of the L.A. Times. You know, this is all pre-internet. And I realized, you know, you can't say. You can't really say. And so I just referred to it as the fastest known time, which I think was just paying homage to people who came before and the fact that there might have been people out there just ghosting it. You know, someone who just did something and didn't tell anybody about it. And so the term was very appropriate and just caught on and it just stuck. And then, of course, you laid down the fastest known time for the JMT, right? Yep, and the Colorado Trail. That's correct. Okay, and what was your time for the JMT? Oh, my gosh. I don't remember, Mary. See, that, <laughs> Do you remember the year? Um, I think that was the year 2000. Okay. That's what I said. Was it, was I mean, there's it a movie like... on it. I mean, there's a video on it. There's all sorts of things on it. But, you know, people ask me what I'm going to do next. That's an easier question. What I did in the past, that's a little harder for me to remember. <laughs> I want to say it's something like four days, wasn't it? In the yeah, four well, day we, range? we wanted we wanted four days. I mean, I, okay. I created this entire spreadsheet with all the stops, all the miles posts and things like that. We wanted sub four. The sub four JMT is like a sub four minute mile. That was the milestone. It, it comes out really nicely like that. And we were totally on track. We had it. And then coming over Donahue Pass, which is literally the last pass there is, coming into Tuolumne Meadows in Yosemite National Park, we got walloped by a monster rainstorm, a hailstorm. They shut down uh, Tioga Pass, the highway. And Whoa. so we had to just stop. We were not prepared to survive out of the trail. 
And so we actually spent the night, ate breakfast, ate dinner, the whole bit, and went back on the trail and sort of jogged it on in and still had the fastest snow in time, but not sub four days. Peter Backman went back the next year and got the sub four days. And again, how many miles is that? I think it's 223. 223. So, okay. So the, yeah, you basically a sub four, it's over 50 miles a day. Yeah. Wow. And it's mo- it's the uh, vertical that really gets you there. Correct. I think so. I think, well, for Peter and I, we took it to that other level because the, the previous FKT was more like five days and over. But this was set by some really, really good runners. You know, Tim Twitmeyer, who won Western States four times. Um, uh, um, Blake Wood, extremely good ultra runner. But Peter and I had really good backcountry experience. So we were comfortable in the backcountry. That was our advantage, not really being better runners. So we could just go out there and keep going at night. And we didn't have to take tents and sleeping bags. We would just bivouac the first night. And then my son and a friend met us on that uh, another night. So I think what really moved Peter and I along is just a different approach. We were the first people to really try to run it instead of just hiking it fast. So how many pounds then of uh, gear were you carrying with you? Was it like just water, just food, your bivy and anything like that? Yeah, it was, well, just food and clothes and no water. Um, we don't really, and the Sierras, you don't need to bring water. You just I drink know, from the streams. From the stream. <laughs> oh, yeah. you're, you're talking to an old guy here. Uh, so you know, I, I can, I'm, I'm not out here to be the boy scout. I'm not out here to, you know, sound like I'm from REI, but telling it like it is, <laughs> you don't need, you can drink straight from streams in the high Sierra. Oh, yeah. definitely. It's so clear and clean. So, Buzz, was this kind of the beginning of kind of FKT history and your website? Um, the former, yes, the latter, not quite. So I had been doing projects, as I call them like this, for literally decades. But the previous year, Peter and I had gone for the Colorado Trail. We put that in the news. We publicly announced it. And so that was really the breakthrough on a personal level where we just said, okay, I've been doing all sorts of crazy stuff out in the backcountry for decades. Now I'm going to tell other people about it. And then the JMT also put it on the map. But we didn't really start keeping good track of this until a few years later when Peter Backwin started keeping track more officially on a ProBoards site. ProBoards is a template, free, easy to use, very primitive. And Peter was a Trojan. He just did this by himself for 10 years. And I always knew, we always discussed it among ourselves, we need to crank this up. And so we, we can do a good job and help the community. And finally, just two and a half years ago, we started the current website. That current website you see, fastestknowntime.com, has only been around since April of 2018. What's the ultimate goal, would you say, the focus of the FKT webs, the fastest known time website? We're just providing a service to the community. So you, know, you could say we don't have a goal except to provide service. We think fast, mm-hmm. we consider fastest known times to be human nature. That, that's what we do. So someone says, <laughs> when did this start? Well, it started, you know, like 100,000 years ago. People like to keep track of what they do, right? And whether it's, you know, going to the grocery store or going up a mountain, running around the block, humans keep track of what they do and they try to do a good job of it. And so a race, right? 
You know, right. right. When did races start? Oh, gee, who knows when races start? It's actually the same with FKTs. So really, the term started quite recently, but the practice of FKTs have been going on since humans have been doing things. So races and FKTs are like brother and sister in a certain sense. And so your FKT website, are you chronicling only hiking and running or is there biking and climbing, you know, speed ascents and all that? Good question, Mary. We get requests to do other things, but currently in order to be credible and uh, keep our volunteer time somewhat reasonable, we only chronicle running and hiking. We allow a few other sports to enter in there. You can use skis, you can swim across a river, you can bike up to a summit, do a little duathlons, but the biking, I mean, but the hiking running portion has to be at least 50% of the time spent. Okay. Now this year, it seems like, you know, FKT has been so busy. Is that my imagination? Or is it just off the hook this year? It's uh, yeah, it's off the hook this year. There's just a lot going on this year. That's for sure, Mary. Uh, yeah, we've uh, we're up probably five times year over year. What? Oh Not my probable. god! We, I mean, we are statistically up five times year over year on a month to month or a quarter to quarter basis. People are getting busy out there. Why? Why is it so busy this year, Buzz? Well, I think there's two things. One is that we don't advertise, we don't publicize, we don't promote, we don't, we just keep track. We're, we're essentially a crowdsourced database. That's really what we're doing. And over time, word of mouth, people find out about it. So it's growing regardless. But as you might have noticed, there's a global worldwide pandemic in taking place right now. I've read oh, about that in the papers the other really? day. <laughs> <laughs> Huh, Indeed. Interesting. I know, Mary, you've been out in the backcountry on Skirka trips guiding. So, you, you know, you've just kind of got to clue you in on some of these developments mm -hmm. back in civilization. <laughs> well, actually, you thought about that, I'm sure, as you had to get moved around. But so as races, essentially out of the question, why not do an FKT, right? And so you're, there's always going to be FKT action. There's a certain personality type, a certain type of person who likes the creative aspect of it. But if you just want to make your mark on the wall, you want a goal to shoot for, or you've been training and you want to you know, establish something, do an FKT because it's legal. So really kind of the FKT scene has kind of exploded this year because it's filling a hole for all these canceled races. Do you think that's correct? Oh, that's that's definitely correct. Uh, FKTs have been on national public radio twice in the last six weeks. Unbelievable. Nice. So so can you kind of give us some statistics like what your numbers have been this this year? Like how many FKTs have been submitted this year? Do you know? In the months of May, June, July, August and September, May, June, July. So in the past five months, two thousand nine hundred twenty three. Wow. So a substantial amount of the total has been accomplished since we've been in Over COVID. a third. <laughs> yeah. Well, close to half. Okay. So about 45% have been done, FKTs have been done on the five months leading up to now. Uh, so yeah. Are those all yeah, new records that have been set or have those all been attempts? We actually don't track attempts. Wow. Okay, so, so people just Finally, when they get the FKT, that's when you learn about them. Is that correct? That's correct. So it's an interesting way, isn't it, Mary? It is. So you could go out there and just throw down, run your brains out, and just do the run of your life going all out. 
And if you are one minute shorter than someone else, we're not going to mention you. (laughs) (laughs) No honorable mention page or anything like that. Right. So I'm, you know, not trying to be cruel here, but that (laughs) is the nature of, that's literally what an FKT is. It's the fastest known time. Yeah. Not the second fastest. And so there is no leaderboard. So for example, if you go on Strava, every time on a segment will be listed. Mm -hmm. But for us, only the fastest chronologically. So that means once you have a fastest time, it's still there. It will always be there. But in order to be listed, you have to better that time. So there could be you know 10 or 12 times listed. But you, in order for you to be listed, you have to go better than the fastest current. Interesting. And so in in your mind, what has been the top five most impressive records of the season? Uh, there's been a lot of activity on the Colorado Trail, not I, I, sure why that is. I saw but, the uh, legend out there with his tiger shirt. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Garmier, yeah. right? Jeff did it unsupported, which is sort of odd, but uh, that was the style he wanted to do it. And he, I mean, we had a conversation about it. He told me that's this is actually a good example. Uh, he said. He just wanted to try something different. And so quick clarification. I I have your question in mind. I'll get back to it. There are three styles. Okay. There is supported, self-supported, and unsupported. Supported, of course, is kind of like a race where someone, you know, hands you food or water or accompanies you, does anything at all for you. Mm -hmm. Self-supported is when you do that more by yourself. You might, you know, go into a store and buy something. You might drop a cash along the way. So classic through hiker style, for example, is self-supported. And then there's unsupported where you're drinking out of streams or natural sources. And that is it. You're carrying everything else with you from start to finish. And so with the Colorado Trail being close to 500 miles, legend did it supported, which meant he carried every ounce of food with him when he left Durango until he got to Denver. Okay, wow. so, he, so he, yeah. he was unsupported then, right? Yes, he was unsupported, which is a lot of work. So if I were to be like, if a person's like hiking any trail, just to make sure I know the difference between self-supported and unsupported. So just going into a town and doing a resupply on food or just sleeping in a hostel or a hotel or anything like that, that immediately invalidates unsupported. Totally. Interesting. Unsupported really means that just, just think of it. (laughs) If you just take it in this literal sense, then that's how we take it as well. It's totally next level. So I wonder yeah. this, with Legend doing the Colorado Trail unsupported 500 miles, do you know if that would be like a record distance for unsupported? Hmm, I don't think so. <laughs> but that's an interesting question. I, let me think. The uh, backpacking light guys, Ryan Jordan, I think it was Roman Dial. I thought the third person, I forgot the third person. I think they tried to do the Brooks Range unsupported. Whoa. This is like 10 years ago. And then, of course, uh, and by the way, Shanti, I like I like this question a lot. But then you can go to you know, Jedediah Smith, right? I mean, mm-hmm. then you can go to the the famous the Trappers, the Western Explorers, and they would you know leave St. Louis and come back a year and a half later. 
that was those were unsupported trips. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? <laughs> because shooting a deer and eating it is still considered unsupported. Right. But I, I noticed on your website that the the rules for unsupported it's pretty strict. Like you can't even go and buy water in town. Like if you passed a, a resupply point, even though you didn't um you could get it out of the tap, but if you bought it, you would be disqualified for that. Is that right? That's totally right. It's unsupported. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I should note that includes any type of pacing, which is how a lot of people get into trouble. Okay. So to explain that a little bit, what does that mean? Right. And this, this is the only place where it, it can get a little dicey and we could be quashing people's hopes and dreams, which is if pacing is considered supportive, but, that also means if a friend comes out on a you know an eight day trip and goes with you for half a day, that's support. You see, any pacing is supported. But what that also means if two people start off and they're going unsupported, they're carrying everything with them, but one person can't finish and he drops out, the guy who finishes was supported because oh. he got paced. So that's the only nuance to those styles. What what about in this case with the Colorado Trail and Legend? I mean, he had, I think, uh, television crews, correct? What does that, how does that affect pacing decisions and all of that sort of thing? Right. There was a little conversation on that. Yeah. Oh, really? (laughs) I didn't know. Yeah, not not among us because he followed the rules and Jeff's a good guy. I mean, he understands the rules and this is what he sort of basically does for a living. And so he was rigorous. His, he informed his crew, I should say his, uh, document, documentary, documentary crew. There will be a video come out. I don't think it's out yet, but there will be a video coming out on his trip. And he gave him strict rules. You, know, you can't even talk to me. Okay. Right. And they didn't hand him a glass of water. Mm-hmm. And he, he knew that he couldn't mess up on that. And he followed it. And, uh, there was people commenting that well, it sort of violated the spirit of it, but we don't we don't get into that. It's very very important for us to be very objective, very credible. It's a level playing field. Here's the guidelines. You know, you might not agree with all of them, but here's the guidelines, and we're going to enforce them totally equally. So if you go out to do something, you have a totally level playing field to compete with. And he absolutely followed the rules. And so kudos to him. Yeah, excellent. So would you say his record is among the top five of the year? Just your opinion, like what has caught your eye buzz this year for fastest known time records? Right. I like what Jeff did, but I would not. There's a, (laughs) I should note, a quick uh, side note here. We have voters. Okay. So there's the fastest known time of the year award, mm-hmm. which we've been doing, I think, four uh, years really? or so. Yeah, it's a really fun award. You can go on the website and track that down, or you can just Google it, F-K-T-O-W, F- fastest known time of the year. Um, Ultra Running Magazine publishes an article on it in their March issue every year. And I have, I forgot how many now, about 25 people mm-hmm. vote on it every year. And so they're the ones who decide. I don't decide. In my personal opinion, I think what Jeff did was very cool. It was very personal. It's not an FKT of the year 
speaking as only one voter, because right. in my entirely personal, I have to emphasize this opinion, I don't think unsupported is better than self-supported or supported or vice versa. The three styles, <laughs> sorry about this, they're separate but equal. I don't value judge them. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 each to their own, right? Hike your own hike. Oh, boom, <laughs> shanty. The bottom line is always hike your own hike. If you're ever in an argument with anybody, that is the deciding argument, right? <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Hike your own hike. Is there sort of a jockeying of position on that? Like people saying, Well, I did mine unsupported and I did mine self-supported is cooler. Do people kind of try to value one more than the other? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't work with us. Yeah. Now on the website, there's you have three categories and there's FKTs in all three of the categories. Mm-hmm. And so the main jockeying you see, Mary, is people will look for the soft category. Okay. See, you, yeah, you, I see what you, you mean. Right. You can go on the website and say, oh, well, the supported time is just wicked fast. But the self-supported time, I think I might have a shot at that. Which et cetera, one is et vulnerable? Right, the vul- right. You want to put your mark in the wall, and so you'll jockey by trying to figure out that one with the softest time. But that's perfectly fair. That's, you know, that's how you work rules. That's fine. But we don't do value judgments on anything. That's, uh, that's extremely firm uh, with us. And so... Mary, I'm still attempting to answer your question. <laughs> I think we like to see, I like to see creativity. I, I like what Jeff did, not because it uh, he did it unsupported, but because it had personal meaning to him. You see what I mean? Yeah. This meant something to him. He did it differently. He had to extend himself in a different way. And then you read his trip report. The guy was on the rivet. <laughs> I mean, he was, Yeah. He, I think he brought, like five days worth of food or something. So you read his trip report on fastestknowntime.com. It's really fun. Everyone submits trip reports. So you get this giant archive. And so he was basically going in on fumes for the last day. And so I, I respect that. I like what Jeff did because it had meaning for him. You see what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. It was very personal. Very personal. And that's, that's how it, that's how it should be. Someone else who we had on our podcast uh, just a couple weeks ago, he did something like, whoa, kind of took my breath away. What was that? He climbed all the Colorado 14ers, which is Mm -hmm. 58 summits, and then all the Wyoming 13ers, and then all the Montana 12s in a straight two-month period. Yikes. Yeah, it was like 122 <laughs> summits, 432,000 feet of elevation gain. Wow, and some of those are pretty technical. Yeah, he was the first person to do the Wyoming 13ers in one year, but he did it in, I think, 16 days. And who is this? Is this somebody relatively unknown? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, but, you know, he's, he's one of these matter-of-fact super powerful hikers. He sees himself as a mountaineer. His name is Eric Gilbertson. And he has a website, uh, which I forgot the name of, but his goal is to 
he's a high pointer. That's his yeah. main thing. You, you've heard of high pointers. Mm-hmm. So Eric is high pointing is its own thing. So you high point the the 50 states. Okay. You have to do Denali, which is sort of hard. But other than that, it goes fairly well. But then he wants to high point the countries. Okay. <laughs> that's right. Sort of, that's so right. he's done 122 countries, which means something like 56 to go. Wow. That's, that's an impressive uh, goal for sure. Um, right. So, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's kind of a unique, really creative way to do it. And he also clocks his time as well then. And now we're talking in more like months than just hours or days. Is that correct? Right. Well, he uh, he teaches mechanical engineering at Seattle University. So he's good at this. You know, he, he did excellent documentation. Awesome. And so who else would be on your top five list? Like what else was creative this year? I really liked uh, what a woman named Kelly Halpin did. She went out on the Wind River High Route, which we mentioned Andrew Skirka. And I did that this year and I had a hard time getting it done in like 10 days. The so-called Skirka route is the Wind River High route. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's, that's goes high. It stays high. It goes from the two 13ers in the range, the southernmost and the northernmost, and bookends them all and stays high the entire time. It's modeled after the Sierra High route, exactly modeled after. The Sierra High route is, are you talking about the Roper route? Yes, okay. you're Mary. This is wonderful talking <laughs> to you. That's right. Steve Roper actually never did it. What? But he wrote, he the, wrote the book. No. What are you talking about? Well, exactly. So you can write the book without having done it. <laughs> I, I had no idea that he never did the route. So yeah, Steve Roper was a Yosemite climber. Okay. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Really good guy. And he conceived of it. An excellent idea. Um, I thought could have been changed a little bit, but that's okay. I mean, it's the Sierra High Route is a definite classic. It's really good. Um, it's some 180 miles or something like that, right? Yep. And so yep. has Actually, any... Andrew, Andrew and I did the Sierra High Route. And I think I remember, didn't you make a video of that at one point? I didn't. Okay. He might he have. Did? Just okay. to clarify, <laughs> 100, 195 miles. 195 miles. Has anybody And undercut 100 yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the, the, the Sierra High Roots, a lot of people have taken a crack at that. People have gotten, I think, second or third for FKT mm-hmm. of the year and the SHR. Okay. Really good route. It's basically, it's the high cousin of the John Muir Trail. The JMT kind of does something similar, all on trail. And the SHR kind of parallels it, but higher and mostly off trail. Now, you mentioned the Wind River High Route and Kelly Halpin, and I feel like there's been kind of an assault on the Wind River High Route FKT over the last, I don't know, last summer even. I think it was attempted on several different occasions and the record broken subsequently like week after week and then maybe this year too. Mary, you follow the sport closely. Not, not too much, just a little bit because I'm not a runner. There's, I, I just like doing high routes actually. And I'm always amazed wow. when I see, oh, somebody did that in two days. I think, how how is that even possible? Well, that's a good question. 
Um, you could listen to our podcast with Kelly Halpin <laughs> if you want. Uh, you could look it up on fastestknowntime.com, go to podcast in the upper menu bar and click down. You'll see Kelly. And then you can listen to her. You can read her description. You can mm-hmm. find out everything she did there. Or on the website, what I advise people to do all the time is go to the roots section on the top menu bar, pull that down and click in wind, apply and wind river high route comes up and you, just, you can see everybody who did it. Including the first person, Andrew Skirka, <laughs> the creator uh, of the route. Yeah, well, we we uh, we both created it. We were sitting on his living room, had the maps out. I had been up there three times, and he, Peter, and I went to do it. And we had uh, we didn't make it over Bonnie Pass. We had to walk around Bonnie Pass. We finished up trailhead to trailhead, but we didn't finish the route. The next summer. Andrew went back and did it in four days and two hours. I think he wasn't trying to go as fast as possible because he he was really trying to write one of his uh, little guidebooks for it. Mm -hmm. And so he was documenting it. But still, that was very well done. And then it went down to uh, two days, uh, 15 hours the next uh, 2019. And then, like you said, last year it heated up. Three guys, uh, two guys got on it, took it down quite a bit. But I mentioned Kelly trying to, still trying to answer your question, Mary. <laughs> you're, you're slippery, Kelly. Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much to talk about, isn't there? I mean, the, the side tracks, you can go down. It's like when you're on a, uh, on, a, on a hike, right? You go, whoa, look at that over there. Oh, look at that over there. So, yeah, Kelly did it uh, this August in two days, 11 hours. So at that point in time, it was um, the second fastest time ever by anybody under any means. Unreal. And she did it unsupported solo. So this is one of those cases where unsupported sort of makes a difference. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, If you have someone out there, you know, hauling up supplies for you, that's a little different. And when I was talking with Kelly, I was quite impressed. She lives in Jackson Hole. And again, one of these, not the fastest people type, but really good in the backcountry, really good mountaineer. She just, you know, goes out in the Tetons, you know, on Tuesday morning and just runs the grand, things like that. So two, two days, 11 hours is, you know, extraordinarily fast. And if I may say so, we don't often see women going solo. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the females are the endurance equals, if not more so, of men. That's been true all along. That's Hmm. accepted knowledge. But in terms of FKTs, they're a little less likely to go by themselves and a little less likely to do the high routes. Okay. And high routes um, are typically off-trail routes going over high passes, correct? Yep. Okay. Yep. And they certainly do, but just a little bit less common. And so you you mentioned the male-female distinction. On your website, is there different categories for that, for gender? Yep. So uh, male and female are both listed. And I should note... We, without making a special announcement, we added non-binary also in January. Oh, okay. Excellent. So if someone says, you know, I don't want to get involved with this whole hullabaloo, 
I just forget it. I don't want to be a part of that. For whatever reason, they can simply choose non-binary and we don't question it. But in order to keep it, again, fair, if you choose non-binary, you can't use it to game the system. You To get an FKT, you have to be faster than either the male or the female type. Okay. And so is there any age categories, you know, when you're talking about races like Western states or, you know, any of the long, long trail runs, you have these categories for ages. Is there yeah, kind like of 20 a... to 24, 25 to 29, so on? Well, I would like to have an age category. Uh, so those who would like to see it have a, a person on the inside lobbying for it. But currently, <laughs> no. <laughs> there are no age categories. So so a 20-year-old could be competing against a 60-year-old who laid down the time. Yep. Have you encountered that often where you might have someone submitting a questionable result and then you're able to catch them on that? Not really. Uh, and we do get asked this a lot, mainly national news media, which in our current political climate is mm -hmm. extraordinarily contentious controversial. And so we're sort of expecting controversy now. But no, I think this community doesn't doesn't play like that. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, it's just my observation. Uh, this community just plays fair. And indeed, I will get, we will get an email a month later after an FKT has been up on the site for a month. And a person said, I just reread the rules. And I realized I wasn't self-supported, you know, I, because my friend came out, you know, and gave me a cookie when I went by. In reality, I was supported. Please change this. Right. Wow. Probably so people. rather than people trying to get away with things, we find people are very, very honorable and just want to be nice. Yeah. And so how are people, you know, documenting their FKT? What's the way to do it? So if you want to do an FKT and you go out and you attempt it, how are you documenting it? Nowadays, you really need the GPX file. Um, we've, we've made that much more stringent just in the last two and a half years. When we first started keeping track, when Peter had the pro board site, he went from kind of whatever, it's a, uh, a gentleman's gentlewoman's agreement to, you know, submit your Strava link or whatever you have to now you have to do that. You have to verify. So, so Buzz, who, who are, who's out there doing these FKTs? Are these professional athletes or are they just kind of people who are coming off the, you know, getting off the couch and relatively unknown? Mary, it should be people like you, shouldn't it? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> oh, really? Look at my slow pace. So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I have it in me to FKT. I like to, you know, and you do see all that criticism. Anytime I see somebody post something on Instagram or, or even, you know, these big athletes, they'll post something about, you know, even Heather Anderson when she FKT'd the PCT, you know, oh, they get criticized. Oh, you should stop and go at a slower pace to enjoy the outdoors. You it's know, four miles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How dare you go so fast through the landscape? You're not even enjoying it. So, um, so what? Is, what is the um, draw? I guess to FKT. It's it's find your own meaning, and people find that from all levels of the sport. So, for example, early on. 
your top people are doing it because they're bored with races. So say if you're this guy named Killian <laughs> and you at age you know 22 of one ultra tour du Mont Blanc, you're basically winning anything you want. And so at age 25, you're expert at navigation, you know, climate, you know, geology, you can read a map. So why do you want to go to one spot at one time at one place and do exactly what you're told to do and be handed anything you need along the way? And if you sprain your ankle, someone's going to pick you up and take you out. Right. Right. Why? Why? So the, the top people are going, I'm a little more knowledgeable than that. You know, I can download Guy onto my phone. I can figure this whole thing out and I could go out there and create this really cool route or I could follow a really cool route. And that's why the top guys were getting into FKTs just because it employed more of their skill set. And then you had people who didn't really want to show up with 10,000 of their closest friends and wanted to be out somewhere else by themselves, but still give it a good go. So are there new routes being proposed on FKT even now? Or are they all kind of bagged and everybody's trying to get new records for the old ones? We receive 10 route submissions per day. Wow. Like new new routes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's about 40 or 50 FKTs per, per day and about 10 routes, 8 to 10 routes per day all over the world, Europe. North America. Unbelievable. So you, you're receiving 40 to 50 submissions a day regarding FKT yeah. records, really? Yeah. From all over the world. Yeah. Where, no, it's it's a lot of work. Wow. I had no <laughs> idea there was that much activity in this sport. So Yeah. No, it's, it's full on. Uh, and again, we don't promote, we don't advertise. We're just hanging on by our fingernails. Besides America, what, where else is the FKT exploding right now? What other country? I think, well, I think Europe mm -hmm. and mainly Western Europe, Northern Europe. Um, for example, early on in the summer, we had a lot coming from Germany and Sweden. It's like, man, I need to learn to speak German. <laughs> it's just like, whoa, baby. And, and <laughs> you know, it's kind of fun because you look at this stuff coming in and I'm going, this isn't going to be an FK true rule, you know, because we personally review and approve everything. Everything is curated. So something would come in from Germany, you know, Darvino schnitzel Hagen das And I'm going, what's <laughs> this? Forget it. And so I type it into Google and there it is. It's got its own website. Wow. You know, it's got, here's the logo. <laughs> here's the trail marking. It's 112 kilometers long. It goes through these 18 towns. So the Germans are super organized and they didn't have as much of a lockdown. Neither did Sweden. So we saw a lot from those two countries like in June and May. And then once the lockdown eased up, the UK took off. Uh, yeah. So a lot coming in from the UK. And of course, you got to tell if it's from the UK because it's oftentimes called a way. <laughs> right in the oh, states yeah, it's a, a trail yeah it's a way and down under it's a track i'm I'm looking at the fkt website right now actually and yeah it's amazing how many dots i'm seeing on uh, germany and the uk and yeah specifically like the first one i clicked on in the uk winchwood way right and the winchwood way has been there for like you know 400 years uh so it's it's just fun shanty it's just so fun so again just like you did i encourage listeners to go to the website and just play around have a look 
you don't have to compete to enjoy it, right? Yeah. And so what we see from the UK, I'll go look at, like you said, the Winchwood Way and go, what is this? And you check it out and you know, it starts at some pub. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the so pub. far, so good. <laughs> Working right. out good for us. Right. And it goes you know, through a couple of farmer fields and it goes through over a few fells, as they call <laughs> the hills, fells. And then it finishes at another pub in the nearby town and it's been there for you know a few hundred years. Shanty's and, booking know, a ticket Byron, right now. <laughs> and Lord Byron used to walk it. So it's it's different everywhere you go. Why if you go to Italy, they're just going up. They don't do trails. You know, it's not in Europe it's not called trail running, it's called mountain running. And so they just go from the bottom to the top and turn around and come back down again. So every area sort of has its own style. And so what makes uh great FKT route? I mean, does, is every route make the grade or is it, are yeah, you like selective? Are there requirements or anything like requirements to meet? Right. Good question. And I mentioned a few minutes ago, we try to be as objective as possible on this one. We can't be, you know, th- how can you be objective? Peter Backwin said, well, he's quoting someone else, but he said, it's like art, you know, it when you see it, and you know it when you don't see it. <laughs> and there's a certain aspect of that. So our one-liner on an FKT route is it must be good enough so other people will want to do it. So early on, we'd get uh, you know something where someone did you know, ran to some hill and then ran up and down it 46 times and ran back. And they're just really proud of it, really into it. So well, what's up with this? He said, well, it's my 46th birthday. It's like, Okay. All right. Good job. Sorry. <laughs> Didn't make the cut. <laughs> Didn't make the cut. But I do definitely want to say, you know, this isn't not about mountains. We tend to oh. be oriented in that direction because they're spectacular, but no. Deserts, trails, woods, and absolutely pavement. We have plenty of all pavement FKTs. We have road FKTs. So don't... Uh, we don't want to limit ourselves. It's hard to distinguish it on the road. Yeah, I was trying to think of like what would be a good road FKT. Can can you think of one? For example, uh, Australia. They they ran from Sydney Opera House to the Bay Bridge. You know things like that. So they they, they they'll pick landmarks that are really interesting, and we have cross state runs. Hmm. For example, we said only one cross state run per state. Because otherwise, someone's going to do another one so they can get the FKT, right? Yeah. Right. They're, they're going to try to invent one that no one's done. Then they you see if you're first, you have the FKT. And you you create the route, which roads to you take. You create the route. Okay. Right. I see. Yeah. Which is fair. But then we also have to say, you know, it's got to be something that other people are going to look at and go, wow, like that. I want to give that a go too. So just outside of Boulder, something that's... Actually, I thought it was fairly small. We call it the Boulder Skyline Traverse. That's people go after that like on a weekly basis. Wow. Yeah, that's just inching down. In New England, that's what they do too. You're not you're not gonna come up with a new FKT route in New England. That's gonna be sort of hard. You could, but it's gonna be hard. But the Prezi Traverse, you know, the presidential range, man, I mean if you break that time by four minutes, you've You've shattered it. 
it, it's really competitive. So the, the Pimmy Loop, the Prezi Traverse, New England, people get after it, if you see what I mean. I was actually thinking about this. There's a new one that I'd been hearing about uh, for the Whites. It's called, I think, the, oh, what's it called? The White Mountains Diretissima. Have you ever heard of that? That's what you do, the 4,000s uh, self-propelled. Yeah, it's uh, all 48 of the 4,000ers uh, in New Hampshire, and it has to be one continuous loop unsupported. It's something like 200-something right. miles with like 80,000 feet of elevation gain. Right. Yeah. Arlene Lan got the FKT of the Year Award last year for doing that. Oh, nice. <laughs> in fact, someone just did it this January. They did it in the winter. In the Whoa. winter. Impressive. Yep. So that, that reminds me, is there a season for FKT or... Gosh, these are very good questions. <laughs> I you. generally know because again, then because if you live in in Tucson, winter's the best season, right? Yeah, summer would be the hardest season. If you live in between, then it doesn't really make any difference. So generally speaking, no, because then we just get into this keeping categories for things that don't really matter. Mm -hmm. But in places that have real tradition and they're really into it, then yes. The New Englanders, they're traditionalists. They, they're into things like this. So we're happy to do it there. Generally speaking, Mary, we go with local. What do you mean by that? Just whatever the local tradition is there? Yeah, we do not want to arbitrate anything. Okay. And so we know people, we talk to people, and we say, what do you think? And if local tradition says this, that's what we're going to want to go with. I think... Uh, Shanti mentioned Corey Woltering early on. Yeah, got the Ice the, Age Trail. The Ice Age Trail, the full Ice Age Trail. Mm -hmm. We have FKT routes for segments of it, but he did the full Ice Age Trail. And if you read the website, and there is an Ice Age Trail Association, mm -hmm. they say at one point you can go either east or west. And they also say that during this connection, you, you, you can use roads to connect it. Mm -hmm. And he took a little faster path on that connection. He didn't use trails in some places. He did a more direct route. And some people questioned it. And so I just wrote the Ice Age Trail. I said, I, this is what your website seems to say, but you tell me. And they said, no, we, uh, from our perspective, Corey Woltering did the fastest time on the Ice Age Trail. Boom. Done. End of discussion. <laughs> we go with locals. Yeah. What about the CDT? Has anybody ever attempted to FKT, the Continental Divide Trail? That's another question that brings up the nuances here, Mary, which is there's stout competitive records on the Appalachian Trail, of course, mm -hmm. and the Pacific Crest Trail. But the last of the Triple Crown is the Continental Divide Trail. And we do not list an FKT for that. Because, as I think you're aware, there's no defined route. Yeah, it seems to be everybody takes just a little bit of variation on that route. Yep. And in discover and discussions with Anish, in particular, Heather Anderson mm -hmm. and Flying Brian, Brian Robinson, mm -hmm. they both said, if you take the fastest route, it's not the best route. Very interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. If you, you could skip the nicer sections and still be legal and still have done the Continental Divide Trail. And so we think, why encourage speed in this particular case? Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah. Well, on the AT, no. You take a step off the AT, 
Eh. No. <laughs> People there's, there's will probably, know. <laughs> there's someone hiding behind that tree is going to, you know, <laughs> you'll flame you on social media. <laughs> uh, so, so on your website, I don't see any like sanctioned events. Like there's not the any races or fastest known times or the winners for any of those, you know, like the Western States or the run rabbit run or anything like that. That's correct. And that's because they already do that. So if you've done a course in a race, that's the fastest known time. <laughs> that's, that's fine. And so if you think you could beat that time by going out and run, run rabbit run by yourself, well, go ahead. But I don't think you can. Right. You know, and <laughs> they've already kept track of the time. So we basically stay away from that. Although that has been dicey this year because there are no races. And yeah. so we have added a few race courses when people have pleaded, I want to do this. I can't do this. And so it's been vague for us. We've had to juggle that one, try to figure it out. Right. And so there are a few race courses that are FKT routes, but not many. In fact, uh, when was it? Six weeks ago, Jim Walmsley went out to do the Hard Rock 100 course by himself. And uh, Jim Walmsley is certainly the best uh, male U.S. ultra runner. Absolutely. And so so what happened on his attempt? Well, he was wailing away. I mean, I, it looked really good. He got to Sherman, and I forgot what happened, but he just stopped. Hmm. So he was ahead of course record pace going clockwise to Sherman, which put him what, uh, 25 miles out and stopped. Interesting. I wonder why. So probably ran into some trouble somewhere, huh? He could have. It, it, plus if you're not in a race, it's like, wow, you know, that's the difference of FKTs. I mean, in a race, there's people watching you. <laughs> it's true. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Like doing, uh, I did an Ironman a few years ago in uh, Chattanooga, and I find it's it, you have extra motivation in that you have people watching you, and there's always a person who's slightly in front of you that you can pace off of. Um, it's a different beast being out there in the wilderness, and you only have yourself to be pushing you along. Right. So I don't know what what was up with Jim, but see, if he comes into Sherman, it's dark, it's cold, maybe there's some thunder and lightning in the air. Wow. Why, why go out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Buzz, you're kind of a holder of a laundry list of FKTs yourself, aren't you? I, I, I probably have a few on there. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see more than a few on that website. Of course. Um, we talked about the John Muir trail and the Colorado trail that you, uh, had the FKT for those two, uh, routes. Um, what are, what are some of your others? Gosh, I'd have to look at the website to be perfectly honest because I've never entered one for myself. It's uh, sort of odd. Every once in a while, I see something come in and I said, oh, man, I did that 30 years ago. I should have put that up. I think I saw um, on there like the circuit in Patagonia. Oh, yeah. I did that with Peter. So Peter entered things, things that Peter <laughs> and I did together, yeah. he put on there. And so uh, El Cerquito and the Toriste Pine. Parque Nacional. Yeah, that was 100 kilometers. Super good route. That's a great trip. I've done it, and it's beautiful. Oh, you have? Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, so. Paseo Gray. You get over Paseo Gray, and it's mm -hmm. just, whoa. There's the Ilo Sur, the southern ice cap there. You're going, wow. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely impressive, yes. 
So, yeah. Um, Good for you, Mary. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, how, how does it feel being a, an old FKT or yourself seeing all these records being smashed? Um, well, I, I've had, I've had a few, I've had a few misgivings every once in a while. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I mentioned I was, uh, I really worked on the Wind River High Route before Andrew did, mm-hmm. long before he did. I went up there, I did the Northern Loop over five days, and I did the Southern Loop over four days, and I did the middle portion of it, which is actually basically almost the same as Alan Dixon's route over a few days. I said, okay, now it's time to put them together. And, and then the next year, I was uh, I was all packed up. I actually purchased the food. I got a urinary tract infection, and then Andrew did it, and I haven't been back. So it's like, wow, dang, that was that was that was a good route. I kind of would have liked to have done that one. And one just got established outside of uh, Boulder, uh, Milner to Berthoud Pass, which or fifth or uh, traverse, isn't it? Uh, that's another irritating name. <laughs> um, Andrew appropriated that name. Uh-huh. It was totally, uh, totally incorrect. What he did is not the fifth or traverse, but he called it the fifth or traverse, so it's listed as such. But sorry, I know the history of the whole thing. Well, tell us it. What, what's, the, what's the misconception here? Well, Carl Fiffner had always envisioned a route that went along the top of the divide. That was the conception. And this, he was an older guy and he died. But Jerry Roach, who's a friend of mine, wrote the guidebook. And Jerry has done the guidebook to Colorado 14ers, Colorado 13ers, Front Range Climbing Guide, Flat Irons Climbing Guide. Jerry, I think, was the first American to do the seven summits, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, pretty solid guy. And so he put that in the book. And there in the Fifner Traverse was born. But then when Andrew did it, he he can't do technical. And so he did a, a route that's appropriate for backpacking because he's a professional backpacker. And so he can do a guidebook. He can take people on the trips. He can do all sorts of things. And it's an excellent, it's a fine route. But it in my opinion, should not have been called the Fifner Traverse because it didn't stay on top. If you don't stay on top, it's something else. It's good, but it's something else. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's my little irksome with that. The nuances, right? Yeah. Right. And so I had certainly done every step of it uh, more than once, sometimes some places five times from Milner to Berthoud Pass. And the heart of it I created called the L.A. Freeway. Yeah, so I, that was the heart of it. But that, the, to me, the L.A. freeway was always the uh, warm-up for Milner to Berthoud, which I was going to call the full frontal. <laughs> <laughs> the full frontal. That's great. Yes, yeah, that's right, because it's the front range, and this is the full deal. So by Milner to Berthoud Pass, if you don't live around there, you're like, okay, whatever. But there is no road mm-hmm. that crosses that route. So you can go from Milner Pass to Berthoud Pass, both of which are highways, both of which are easy, obvious to get to trailheads. But in between those two, there is not a single road crossing or getting close to it. So that is a very pure, very high altitude traverse that gets fairly technical, not real technical, but it's quite rough, quite high. I mean, when you are dropping down to the passes, you're dropping down to 12,000 feet. So it's a biggie, and I mapped the whole thing out. I'd done, like I said, all of it in, set, in stages multiple times. And then just, was it last year? Yeah, just last year, I went out to do it. And 
I had it planned for four days, did the first day using Gaia, come to think of it. Yeah, I had nice. my Gaia loaded up on my phone. There I was. Of course you did. So. <laughs> Got to my intended campsite and it just was raining. And it started raining the next day and I, I that next morning, got up and, you know, I, I can't, you can't do that in the rain. You, just, mm-hmm. you can run a train on the rain, but you can't free solo, you know, fifth mm-hmm. class in the rain. It's a little so dangerous. I was done. I was out and I was still working. So it means I only could do it on weekends. So I couldn't go back. And then Justin Simone oh. did it. Oh, I know Justin. Year, went, yeah. He's another guy. assistant guide for Andrew Skirk Adventures. Yes, exactly. Wow. And, right. and quite right. the character. He's a funny guy. So he, he's a great storyteller. He really is. And so he completed that. He finally completed the Fifner Traverse. Yeah. Well, he completed Milner to Berthen. Okay. He actually called it something else. But Peter, <laughs> who was entering the roots, didn't like what he called it. Justin actually <laughs> called it vanishing point. And no one, none of us could figure out what that meant. So, <laughs> so Justin. but Justin's an artist. He's an artist. He so if you is. know Justin, you know that he's going to think of something that's not entirely objective. Shout out to Justin. That's awesome. Way, definitely. The Long Ranger definitely is an amazing yep. guy. And so, sorry, Justin, we couldn't call it Vanishing Point. Peter, who is a PhD in physics from Harvard, called it Milner to Berthoud. Excellent. And so you're kind of known for setting out these visionary, iconic lines in the mountains, especially around Boulder. Is that right? Yeah, but I've been all over the world. I think you asked yeah. me what my favorite was. I think my favorite, I should look to see if this is on the website, not sure if it is, is Canyonlands National Park. I'm going really? to check it right now. Awesome. <laughs> That's a what? good idea. You should go to check it right now. Maybe I should check it right now. <laughs> but Canyonlands National Park, I called it the Triple Trek. Okay. And Correct. this, there's, see, there's. I'm not seeing three, it. Give, give us a little. Three uh, routes. Yeah. Right, there's three, three districts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not in here. I should put it in. It's island Maybe. in the sky or. Well, okay, Mary, very good. What are the three districts in Canyonlands National Park? Wow, there's Island in the Sky, there's yes. the Maze, there's, yes. um, what's the other one? Um, uh, slipping my mind right now. Needles. Needles. Needles, yeah. Maze, Island in the Sky. Excellent. Two out of three, very well done. <laughs> and they are dramatically and seriously separated by the Colorado River and the Green River. Exactly. Right. So they're, you don't yeah. need a fence line between these. You got this huge river between them. Mm-hmm. So I endeavored to traverse each of the three districts in one shot. And I did that by swimming the rivers. Wow. That would be, and they're big rivers. I mean, these aren't just little rivers. These are, they're big rivers. Right. Colorado's wide there. So, right. And cold. <laughs> right. Didn't you also do a rim to rim to rim of the Grand Canyon where you were swimming across the Colorado? Right. Yep. That's a good one. I like that one a lot. Which route in rim to rim to rim requires a swim? Because, you know, you could just do Phantom Ranch and go across the bridges. So which route did you do that required the swim? Quite correct. The standard rim to rim to rim which is done quite commonly, and which Jim Walmsley, who mm-hmm. we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. has the record on, goes south rim, down to the river, up the north rim, back down to the river, and back up 
to the South Rim from whence you came on the Kaibab trails, north and south Kaibab, across the Black Bridge. Yes. Which, by the way, Hopi Indians carried the equipment down the trail to construct. Wow. There's there like 50 of them carrying one cable snaking around the switchbacks. But So impressive. Yeah, History of the Grand Canyon would be 20 more podcasts. <laughs> it sure would. <laughs> but, what, but what came up was that the National Park was getting peeved because some, I'm not exactly sure, but I think some running shops... Uh, out Las Vegas area and that area were doing organized trips to the Grand Canyon. And they would drop him off at the South Rim and drive a bus around and pick him up at the North Rim. And so these people were inexperienced and they would get lost. They would get dehydrated. And worst of all, this is, this is actually hard for me even to say, they would drop litter on the trail. Oh, man. Um, right. Absolutely not. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's hard to hear, isn't it? Mary? It is. It like, just makes me crazy. Whoa. I know. No, you can't do that. Oh. <laughs> and so I was just like, wow. And the park service was thinking about closing it to runners, things like that, because of a f- few bad actors. They did. They did a very good job. They limited it to less than fifteen people, which good. That's, that's a fine rule. Things like that. And so I said, let's just get out of that whole maelstrom and do the Bass Trail. Oh, the Bass Trail. Hmm. (laughs) And it's the same deal, the same vert, amazingly, same distance. It's the uh, South Bass down, North Bass up, and back down and across. And the obvious difference is there's no no bridge bridge at the bottom. (laughs) Absolutely no bridge at Bass. I remember that. I used to be a river guide in the Grand Canyon long, 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 long time ago. But there is no bridge down by Bass. Oh, so oh, wow! You really know this. <laughs> so, um, so what do you do when you when you get down there? You wait for a raft to go by and hitch a ride, or or you have to swim <laughs> across, or what's the? How do you do a FKT when there's no bridge? Right. That in usual FKT fashion is up to you. You've- <laughs> Got to figure that out. But for me, after my experience in the triple track, and I had at that time, <laughs> I'll just tell you this since we're on this podcast right now. <laughs> I took a, an insulite foam pad and put it, wrapped it around my chest, then pulled on a Patagonia surfer shirt over that to hold it in place, and pulled out duct tape. And wrapped it around my waist and my wrist <laughs> to keep the water out. <laughs> this is, sounds crazy. Put, and I put my pack, which is just a day pack, in a waterproof dry bag with a sling tied onto it, wrapped, looped that over my shoulder so I could actually swim. And that's how I swam the rivers. What in the actual? I can't even believe you did that. <laughs> Neither can I. I want to add like, a disclaimer. Really? If there's any AT through hikers out there who are planning to cross the Kennebec this way, don't. <laughs> Good suggestion, Shanti. I appreciate that. Do not attempt this at home. <laughs> so. Do not try this at home. He's a professional. And then Peter and I had gone back in the canyon lands and tried it with air mattresses. You, you blow up your Neoair. You know, the Neoair is a very lightweight air mm-hmm. mattress. And you blow that up and try to lay in that. Wow. That's funky. I mean, it doesn't stay laid out flat. It just folds up in this V. You look like a moron. <laughs> a buzz and then, taco. 
<laughs> yeah, that, you're, wrapped up good in this. point you're totally right because it's yellow <laughs> so you yeah you look like this burnt taco so funny so buzz are you still running well it's just a minute oh. here so oh, if you want the history up. you oh. think i'm done yeah oh i didn't know you get it, you go and you just drive you guys crazy <laughs> so then the the third try peter and i got pack rafts these little tiny they're basically pool toys which you you know use in the backyard of suburbia with these little lightweight Kevlar paddles, and we paddled pack rafts across the rivers, which worked pretty well. But for the rim-to-rim-to-rim alt, which is what I called it, we kind of used a combination there. I got a very lightweight, shorty wetsuit, and that kept the body warm in the 50-degree water. And then I used uh, uh, these weird webbed gloves like you use for swim training because legs actually don't get you across swimming. Your speed comes from your arms. So I used web gloves to provide more propulsion. That's how we did rim to rim alt. Impressive. How wide would you say the river was there? Uh, gosh, I don't know. It's not that wide. Terrible. hundred, yeah. hundred meters, Mary, is that what you say? But of course yeah. you're going downstream. So mm-hmm. your actual transit time is longer because as, as you know, Mary, it's a ferry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you, not. That's, that, that's what you do. You don't really want to get the other side of where you're going for. That'd be you'd never make it. So you go upstream of where you're aiming for, and you don't aim for it. You aim upstream from that. So you swim in a ferry, which means you're kind of aiming up, and the current is pulling you down. And then when you go to recross, you go upstream from that. So you're forming a triangle. Mm-hmm. Just kind of on an angle there and let the current take you down a little little bit away account for the current, right? Correct. So, wow. What year did you do that? Um, five years ago, maybe. So you, yeah. you're, Buzz, you're really just still out there doing all this stuff, aren't you? Well, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, Mary, I've, uh, I think the legs, I've got issues. You know, like my toe hurts. I broke my big toe playing beach volleyball three years ago, and it's been hard to come back from that. You know what I mean? It's just hard to heal up. And so I, it's conceivable full-on running days are over. I kind of hate to say that. Really? Yeah. And it's not – I got the engine, but bodies wear out. The parts definitely wear out. So one, you could break your leg. Yeah. Two months later, you're actually okay. Mm-hmm. But you get these little things with your soft tissue and your joints and your ligaments where there's little blood circulation. Those are hard to heal. And so you've been doing this a long time, Buzz. Do you mind me asking how old are you these days? Well, you're a pretty young woman. I'm not <laughs> sure if I want to tell you. <laughs> I mean, if Shanti I mean, asked, I'd tell him. I don't care about well, him. Well, I mean, but... you know. Buzz, do you mind me asking how old you are these days? <laughs> I turned 69 in a little over two weeks. So you're swimming the Colorado River when you're 64. I admire right. that. <laughs> well, thank you. And so, I mean, how, how has the, you just mentioned you're having, you're running into a little bit of issues here. How, how has it been aging and in, in this sport of adventuring? I would just say, I wouldn't even say you're an FKT guy. You're, you're mostly just adventuring all over the world, all these beautiful, elegant lines through the mountains. I think it's been hard. I think at you know, this stage of one's life, you know, I could be the esteemed elder 
and pontificate on how groovy it is and how it's nice to look back and it's nice to look forward to things, but that actually isn't the way I feel. I feel kind of pissed off. I think it's uh, it's sort of hard. I'm I'm not aging gracefully. I'm sort of going down kicking and screaming. <laughs> and so I'm really a lousy role model. <laughs> I, I, you should edit this out of the podcast. You know, you want someone who's nice and calm and relaxed and makes everyone feel good about themselves. Instead, I'm telling you that aging is pretty hard. And I think we want three... honest people. This is good. Oh, okay. Yeah, we like this. Oh, okay. I think that the three things I, I, I would say in all seriousness is one, you really have to up your game about self-care hugely, mm -hmm. dramatically. And this is, could be diet. And I could go on, on about that, you know, from unsaturated, you know, fats to sugars, refined foods, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And doing yoga, stretching. I do strength training in the off season because you lose uh, strength and flexibility more than you lose endurance. So you got to up your self-care game dramatically. Uh, secondly, and this is kind of odd, you have to lower your expectations because you're going to get slower. The old saying is you're only as young as you think you are. It's complete rubbish. Your body ages, your cells age. It's easily and scientifically documented. And I'm insulted by that comment, as I think most elderly people are. Aging uh, is a real a, thing, right? Yeah, it's there's a biological transition taking place mm -hmm. here. Basically, after your past procreation stage, biologically, why even be alive? And so the other things start <laughs> to, you know, from a survival of the fittest uh, explanation, yeah. why be there? And so the aging process kicks in and starts kicking you out, mm -hmm. you know, make room on the food chain for people who are still procreating. I think it's kind of goes back to that. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you have to lower your expectations. If you want to keep doing what you were doing, you're not going to be able to, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to quit. And so I think you have to back it off and adjust your expectations and still have fun, still get excited, still get engaged doing various things. And here's my one liner. It's still really fun and you're still moving really fast just don't look at your watch. Good advice. You could be just wailing away there. You could just be ticking <laughs> off the miles. Your, your watch is like, that's a 10-minute mile. Whoa, that wasn't fast at all. Don't, don't look at the watch. Yep. And so the third thing is uh, you have to live with pain. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's kind of painful. So you get up in the morning and you know, things are going to hurt. And if you go out for a run, it'll take the first mile or two before you loosen up. And so I think... Uh, I guess I should say four things, Mary and Shanti, is uh, the fourth one to be, you know, follow Joseph Campbell's advice, follow your bliss. And so at this stage of the game, if you're doing this for external motivation, you're, you're off, you're out of the game, you're done. This is internal, this is lifestyle, this is who you are. So at some level, you engage with, I'm a homo sapien. I was born to move. As Chris McDougall said, I was born to run. I'm not doing this to try to be something else. I'm doing this because this is who I am. And then, then you can keep going with those other three in place. So you mentioned Joseph Campbell, so your own hero quest, correct? Well, I think it's a quest towards authenticity. Mm -hmm. You know, from the, from the Buddhist perspective, it's who you are. It's not trying to be something else. It's not trying to achieve. It's not trying to get high, so to speak. It's trying to be authentic. Who really are you? And be that. Live up to that. 
So Buzz, one thing that I've heard about you is that you are a really good dancer. Is that true? Who told you that? Oh, I don't know. Just a little birdie. With a grapevine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a multi-sport athlete. I've uh, heard this about you. So. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, oddly, I've did minor competition in ballroom dancing, but I'm a, primarily a swing dancer and am one of the few endurance athletes who can dance at all. So, yes, I definitely like swing dancing. It's aerobic. It's athletic. And... Uh, the body is born to move. Excellent. That's so cool. And nowadays, nowadays, you mentioned running. I'm sitting here in Michigan. I'll be back in Colorado in another couple of weeks. But I spent the summer in Michigan on my surf ski. Surf ski. Of course, you might say, what is that? Yeah, tell yeah, me what a surf ski is. So people would have to Google it. But a surf <laughs> ski is a very fast kayak that is fast enough to be able to surf waves in the open water, if this starts to make sense. So I will do coastal runs, you know, 10 or 20 miles up the coast on Lake Michigan. And if you get a wind going, which is totally common here, this is a big body of water, you know, the waves will be going three feet high and they'll be cresting. And I can literally surf those waves not for long periods of time, but you get you. It's like riding the bumps. You get on these little runs. It goes away. You get this little run, goes away, and it's kind of fun. You know, you, you're you're doing a different sport. And unlike running, cycling, climbing, volleyball, skiing, and snowshoeing, all of which I've competed in, all of which I'm getting worse at, <laughs> stand up paddling and kayaking, I'm getting better at. And so I kind of enjoy getting better at something trading one for the other yeah that's great that, bo yeah. that boils down to like the fundamental question that i'd want to ask where it all boils down to always trying to get better and then what ultimately drove you into following the fkts and your own background with pursuing it it's always comes down to the why what is the motivation for you to be pursuing things like these fkts and always pursuing like challenging yourself and finding adventure out there what what motivates buzz well, thank you, Shanti. That's, uh, I appreciate that question. For me, it's just seeing what's around the corner. I'll, I'll go out and say I got two hours to do something. And I, I'll go somewhere that I've never been before. And it's like, whoa, I'm, I'm looking at the watch and I start pressing. And I start pressing it because I somehow I have this insatiable urge to see what's next. <laughs> I just want to see what's next. And when I was, I used to do a fair amount of climbing and did a fair amount of free solo climbing. And it was never an issue of, oh man, I got to psych myself up to do that. No, I have to discipline myself not to do things. And so that's, that's where it was for me. Somehow I want to see what's around the next bend. And I kind of still want to see what's around the next bend. So what is next for Buzz Burrell? And the FKT website and the podcast. What do you have on tap? On the FKT website, we could do a lot better job. A lot better job. It's just three of us. We've never been paid. Um, literally, none of us has ever taken a dime out of it. And I think that's a business model that is unsustainable. And we could provide better features to the community if we would bring in some more revenue so we could hire more web development. That's what we need. We need more web development so possibly we could 
add cycling as a sport. We could add one age group. We could provide better services if we had some revenue so we could hire a web developer because we're tapped out in terms of doing it as volunteers. In terms of the podcast, I'm always, the thing that's kind of, I mentioned this 15 minutes ago. <laughs> this is sort of funny. You know, once a week uh, or twice a week, uh, someone will volunteer to be on the podcast. Say, hey, how about this? This is cool. This is what I did. No woman has ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I search for a woman to be on the podcast. And so if you look at the people who've been on it, I've had a fair amount of women on it, but I've always asked them. And so I still want to do that. You mentioned Corey Waltering. I still feel bad. He's a black guy, by the way. We didn't have him on. I asked him a couple times. Somehow we didn't connect. So I'd like to keep it as inclusive as possible. And if people tell a, a wider range of story and somehow, you know, I don't, I don't want this to be about the, you know, the, the big agro trip high in the mountains. I want it to be much broader than that. But those are the people who volunteer. So it's, uh, I'd like to keep it broad. I'd like to keep it more interesting. And I look forward to the FKT of the year awards at the end of this year. Excellent. And this is, there's one last one that I wanted to ask. Are there any FKTs with the fall and winter months coming up that we might be primed for? Are there some trails where you think an FKT might fall? Yeah, good question. Well, the ones that we're familiar with, we just mentioned Colorado Trail, John Muir Trail, things like that. Uh, the current FKT overall on the GMT was by Francois Dion, who did it in early October. Very ironic, or not ironic, but very clever, because he did it f- with full race-level support. You know, he's a Solomon-sponsored athlete, so they ponied up a lot of money, and so they came over with pacers, and he did a lot with headlamps, which means he didn't have to contend with midday heat. Kind of interesting. That is interesting, interesting but it's there. such a, you know, uh, short daylight hours. Right. But he wasn't going for the view. <laughs> it's a touche. <laughs> yeah, touche. Exactly. There's different styles. There's different styles, yeah. and other people do it very differently. So, mm-hmm. again, we don't argue that one ourselves. Other people are, can argue that one. You know, for us, it's just they do what they do. But um, in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, that leaves the Arizona Trail. It uh, kind of opens up now. And it certainly opens up, Shanty, a lot of these fast routes that are all over the place. They're they're in your backyard. They're wherever you live. Like you, you live in, you live in Salt Lake then? Yeah, yeah, right yeah. on the Wasatch Front. Right. I mean, you could do Mount Olympus, couldn't you? You could do Timpanagos. You know, the world's getting a little late for the world, the Wasatch Ultimate Ridge link up. The world. That's right. on my project list for next year. I don't think I want to do it in the 24-hour run, but uh, have putting have been putting eyes on the world recently. Good. A Jared Campbell route. Yeah, but heck, you could run up uh, um, Olympus right now. That's true. Right? It's a good time of year. Time. Yeah. And then, of course, the Grand Canyon, you don't want to do it in the summer. And uh, then... Overseas, of course, Australia, New Zealand, uh, yeah. this is spring. Patagonia, all those southern hemif- hemisphere areas are just getting started. Correct, correct. But, uh, Shanta, we don't often see it coming. You know, we get we have a tracking now feature. You see it on the homepage. Mm-hmm. But someone will submit that a few days in advance. 
they'll send us the link to their tracking, the URL to their tracker. Mm-hmm. And so you can track someone in real time, but we don't see that till fairly close. And sometimes that's just because they didn't get it together until fairly close. And sometimes they want to keep it in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if someone announces for something big, well, someone will say, oh, I might go get on that too. So they might just keep it in the pocket till it's time to pull the trigger. <laughs> uh, we saw that in the Pennine Way in England. Um, what's uh, John Kelly, the last person ever to finish the Barkley Marathons, he went out and got a 34-year-old FKT on the Pennine Way in the UK. And then five days later, a friend of his, Damien Hall, broke it. So he held that 36 or 34 year old FKT for five days. I'm going to assume ex friend now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, they're both on the podcast, and this is this is this is the good stories, right? Yeah, These, absolutely. This yeah. Is such good stories. Mm-hmm. They both came out and supported each other in reality. In reality, they went out there and cheered each other on at the finish line, which was a pub. And so it's it's a community. That's it's uh, that that's how this that's how it rolls. So it's very common to have the previous FKT holder come out and if not cheer the new guy to literally pace him and help him. We see that a lot. That's a cool thing to know. Yeah, that's, that's really good, cool. Yeah. And it's a good reflection of the community too, like we were talking about earlier, that you know it's an honest, sincere community. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's, it's good people. That's what you see on Gaia, right? I, that's what we see here. Well, Buzz, you're good people, and we're certainly lucky to have you on this week. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, we wish you the best in everything you do, Buzz. And, you know, we're going to keep our eyes out for more FKTs in the future. Well, thank you very much. And Mary and Shanti, it's delightful talking with you. I hope I see you two in person sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, likewise. All right. Well, you take care, Buzz, and uh, we'll catch up soon. The father of the FKT, Buzz Burrell, everyone. Thanks so much, Buzz, for being on the show and for everything you've done to build the FKT community and everything else you're also doing to keep it running. We wish you the best in everything you do and with your continued tracking of the FKT website and your podcast, too. We talked about it a lot on the show today, but just as a reminder, make sure to check out fastestknowntime.com to see the current records for over 1,600 routes and over 2,000 athletes. Trust me, you can get totally lost for hours on that website pouring over stats and records. I know, because I'm speaking from experience on this one. Also, there's a spot on the website where you can make donations to help keep the site running because it really is a lot of work for Buzz and Peter to keep it going, and any donations or help for them is greatly appreciated. Also, Make sure you check out the FKT Podcast. You can find that by, well, searching FKT Podcast on any and all the platforms you would find this podcast on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, you name it. And of course, as always, we'll make sure to include links in our show notes. Also, as a heads up, we at the Out and Back Podcast finally bit the bullet and launched our own Instagram page. We'll be updating it frequently, so make sure you give us a follow by going to at Out and Back Podcast. All one word, at out and back podcast. All right. When we're back in two weeks, we got a real treat for you with our next episode. And I think it's a good follow-up from our show that we just had with Buzz. I'm going to be joined by guest co-host Abby Levine, a professional trail runner, 
triathlon national champion, and on top of all of that, a writer at Gaia GPS. And together, she and I are going to be sitting down and chatting with Courtney Dowalter, one of the legends of the ultramarathon world. And it's going to be pretty good timing, too, because Courtney just competed in the 2020 Biggs Backyard Ultra, which is basically a run-until-you-can't-stand-anymore ultramarathon event. And, well, let's just say Courtney did very, very well in the Biggs Backyard Ultra. So we're going to be talking with her about that. We're going to talk about her FKT attempt on the Colorado Trail this past year and so much more. So please make sure you tune into that. It's going to be great. All right. Two more quick things before we go. First, we just want to take a quick moment to thank everyone who's been leaving us reviews for the show on Apple Podcasts. It's really appreciated. Always gives us a pick us up. But more importantly, it helps us know what we can do to make future episodes as great as possible for you. And secondly... Make sure that you stop by GaiaGPS.com slash podcast and pick up that sweet 50% discount on a membership. If you're heading into the backcountry, you're going to want the gold standard of offline navigation. And that's exactly what Gaia GPS is. Again, GaiaGPS.com slash podcast for your 50% discount. All right, everyone. This is Shanty, and we'll see you in two weeks on the Out and Back podcast. Take care. Take care.